You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Welcome to Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. With your host, Andrew Gerza. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie if you want for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item so you get one free item for penis havers one free item for vulva havers one free item for couples and then you also get six free movies from the adameve.com website you can get your favorite porn or an educational film i love free movies they're so awesome this is such a great deal and then on top of that you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So to redeem this great offer, what you're gonna do is you're gonna go to adameve.com, you're gonna go to checkout, and you're gonna type in darkpod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout, and you're gonna get one item, almost anything in the store, at 50% off, and then you're gonna get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to adameve.com and take advantage of it right now. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. 
I want to let you know all about a good friend of mine and somebody who I think you should all get to know. If you are somebody who is looking for a companionship, a friendship, or romance, I want to let you know about my inclusive provider friend, Haley Jade. Haley Jade is a 30-year-old disabled bisexual offering online companionship for friends or romance. They have been published in Vice and HuffPost, and they specialize in working with disabled clients and are disabled themselves. Their online services start at $50 Canadian dollars, and they can be found on Twitter at Sexy Life Coach, Instagram at Sexy Life Coach, and you can book them via their website, Haley Jade, that's H-A-Y-L-E-Y-J-A-D-E dot C-H, to book on their website. Just wanted to bring that to your attention. If you're looking for a fun, sexy, romantic companion who specializes in disabled clients, Haley Jade is the one for you. Book them now. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. My name is Andrew Gerza. I'm your disabled dick smith, your number one queer cripple, your disabled dandy, and your host with the most, and everything in between. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and get this show started. Friends, we are already on episode 203, and I am so stoked about that. Thank you so much for coming back for more and for wanting to listen to me all these weeks talk about disability, sexuality, everything in between, and now disability stories. I'm so excited to be adding more things to the roster, more things we can talk about around disability and really uncovering things we don't talk about enough on this show. So I'm really, really proud to do that now. So thanks for sticking with me and let's get started. First things first, I gotta give a shout out to the awesome people that help keep this show going and help keep a bright light shining on the disability stories that we share on this podcast. And I'm gonna go to one of our Patreon peeps today, Michael S. Gall, who spent $5 a month to help keep this show going, which is super awesome. And I met them on Twitter, and they're really cool, and they wanted to support me, and the next thing I know, they went on my Patreon and put some dollars in. So, Michael S. Gall, I'm glad you have the gall to support me. If you want to support the Disability After Dark Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or whatever denomination you can. If you want to spend $3.25, you can do that. If you want to spend $4, you can do that. If you want to spend $100, you can do that. But if you want to support the show in whatever way you can, I appreciate it. And for doing so, you'll get the show one day early on a very special Patreon feed. And you will also get the get a weird, sexy shout-out for me on a Thursday episode. So, that's what I did right there. Emma, Michael Gall, thank you for the support and for having the gall to put your money down for this show. Alright, but uh, now let's get started. 
On the show today, I sit down with a new friend of mine and somebody that I've been following on the Twitter sphere probably for a couple years now, and I really, really love what they do, and I wanted to reach out to them because I know they are somebody living with bipolar disorder. And so I reached out to my, my friend, Brett Gleason, who's an artist and musician out of New York City, and I wanted to reach out to him to talk about his experiences with bipolar and whether or not he considers being bipolar a disability and how his bipolar has affected his relationships with men, his queerness, his sexuality, some of the ways he's had to come out as bipolar. Um, we talk about how his first experience coming out as queer was marred by, you know, a therapist telling him an, another possible reason for his uh, his his queerness, which, which kind of affected him. Um, we talk about a lot of stuff. He also tells us why napping is really good for bipolar. Uh, we talk about how his how he feels, you know, certain men can't trust him because of his bipolar and how his bipolar plays a role in, in some of his relationships and his sex. We talk about a lot of stuff here, but it was a really great learning for me to learn from Brett about bipolar and his experience of bipolar. Um, and uh, we just had a really great, great chat, and it was an important one. And I loved being able to talk with him about... Um, having bipolar and having an invisible disability and it made me want to talk to more of you out there with invisible disabilities and different types of disabilities that we don't often hear enough about. We also talked to Brett about his experiences with medications, trying to figure out what his bipolar was and how to how to manage it and all that stuff too. So there are some discussions of that in this episode as well. But now, without further ado, here's my interview with the artist and musician Brett Gleason, right here on Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Brett Gleason, hello. Hey there. Hey, it's so nice to have you on Disability After Dark. How are you today? I, I'm great. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Anytime. You and I have been following each other on the social media for I don't know how a couple of years now I'd say at least like two years yeah at least yeah. on Twitter for sure Instagram just a few hours <laughs> it's literally been like five but <laughs> yes um, I'm not sure how we connected but I remember seeing something about your invisible disabilities and I was like I should have him on the show so here we are yes love Amazing. it thank you yeah we must have a Canadian friend or two. Um, you know who I think it is? Do you know, you know Noah Michelson from, from... Oh, yeah, for sure. That's oh, okay. That's who I think it is. You, did you, you used to have a blog on the Huffington Post? I've done some sexy things for them about That's disability. That's right. Yes, yeah. I used to be a contributor back in the day. Remember when it was cool to do that? I remember, yeah, so... That might be it. I think that is. And now, and then I think I started following your Patreon because that's the cool way to access cool, unique, and That's content. the cool way to give people things, though. Yeah. I, I think I'm pretty sure I follow yours. I think I do. Oh, you do. We scratch each other's backs. Okay, good. good. <laughs> um, can you introduce yourself to the world? Tell us a little bit of who you are, what you do, and um, what your disabilities are. Sure. Um, I'm primarily a musician. 
um, kind of like an indie alternative solo artist. I play piano. Uh, I play a lot of instruments, but that's my main instrument. Uh, I'm sort of getting to a point where I'm kind of embracing just being an artist overall because, you know, I'm, I'm filming videos. I am constantly writing and sharing contents of all sort, which I think art, all artists are doing, you know, we have all these different kinds of medium, you know? So yeah. uh, I'm an artist and I am bipolar. I was diagnosed almost 20 years ago now. So I'm 36, I'm gonna be 37 in September. And I was diagnosed when I was 19 years, way, way too late, to be honest, but still earlier than many. That's, that's a really young age to be diagnosed with mental illness. Although from the stuff I've, from the stuff I've researched, almost right in line with when they would diagnose you. Is that about right? Yeah. I mean, most, so most people tend to get diagnosed uh, sort of, either at the onset of puberty, that's when symptoms tend to start at the onset of puberty, which I experienced around, you know, 12, 13. But, um, you know, most symptoms will tend to become most pronounced uh, at the completion of puberty. Everyone's different, of course. Uh, and so that's kind of what happened to me. Yeah, which I'm sure is confusing as fuck because puberty, you already have a surge of hormones and emotions and all these things already happening to you. Yeah. So everything you're feeling is already constantly changing. And so I even remember like when I was 13, I started experiencing, now I would look back at it and I would say like anxiety or like malaise or existential crisis. But at 13, I was just like, wow, you know, at the end of every day, like, first of all, I can't sit still, but then at the end of every day, it feels like there's something super, super important that I have left unfinished and I will never be able to rest until I finish it. <laughs> so it's constant like anxiety, constant like. Yes. Yes. And I was like kind of okay throughout the day, you know, like I had three different kinds of music lessons. I had all these sports that I did. I was, you know, super busy in school and then I'd get home at night and I would just sit in my room and just freak out. And I remember kind of like getting the courage together to go and tell my mom, and my mother is amazing and she's wonderful, but I come from a long line of people who have issues like this and not everyone has dealt with it properly. So her response was kind of flippant and it was late at night and she was kind of just like, oh yeah, Brett, that's anxiety. Everyone in our family has it and sort of like brushed it away. <laughs> and I was oh, like, no. <laughs> oh no, that's so rough because you were trying to like tell her about a real thing that was bothering you and you were, you were 13. Oh no, that's so hard. Yeah, so I just held it all in until it just was too late. Was that a like that was kind of a that was kind of like your first coming out before you like came out? Was that a was that a precursor for what coming out would be like? Wow, yes, way to follow the narrative, way to anticipate the narrative. See, this is how this is how you pretend to be a real host. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I mean, it's uh, it's funny because I didn't even think of that. So I I have put the two together. Like, I think that, I mean, I think we're always coming out in different ways. Like I, yeah. obviously I had to come out as gay. Who doesn't? Well, straight people. Um, <laughs> I had to come out as bipolar and I also had to come out as an artist in some ways. I think that that was a thing for me too. Um, but, but yeah, like this was, this was probably my first attempt at kind of coming out as someone who was having sort of emotional and mental issues. And, uh, 
wow, I never really thought of how that probably affected me. Like I kind of just got swatted aside by my greatest caretaker, <laughs> who I love yeah. so much. Hi, Brett's mom. We love you. <laughs> <laughs> we do. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like I really just sort of brushed it all aside and it really wasn't until like my first semester I went away to college and it all really kind of caught up with me. And I, I did get diagnosed with depression and I started taking antidepressants. Um, and I felt different, but not right. And so I was seeing a doctor who just kept upping my antidepressants and- Oh no, which is never, I, they didn't balance you at all. They just gave you more. Oh man, it was like rocket fuel. I was like <laughs> to the moon. So, um, so yeah, and I was away at school. So there was like no one who knew me that was like, wow, Brett's not acting right. So I was meeting all these people who had no idea who I was. So they were just like, okay, this kid is extroverted and energetic. Um, and I like wasn't sleeping. I, I uh, started pulling my hair out. I uh, okay, cool, all right. Started having auditory hallucinations, um, and finally, like people started pointing out. It was mainly the hair pulling that kind of got the attention of people in my lectures, people in the dorm rooms, and that's when the school contacted my family, and I um, I got sent home. I was hospitalized. But ultimately what happened is that like, yes, I, I, I'm bipolar, but I was incorrectly diagnosed with depression, which yeah. isn't too far off. But if you're, if you are only medicated with an antidepressant and you're bipolar, it sounds like, you know, this already, it will send you into mm -hmm. a really intense manic phase. Yeah. And that's what happened. And so, you know, I had to get detoxed from that before I had to get properly medicated, which really took a good... I mean, it took about a year to get properly medicated. I had to try lots of different things. And not everyone has that opportunity or that time or the patience for that. Yeah. I had one antidepressant, one pill, one. And I was like, I don't feel right. I'm never taking it. Like, I'm not doing this. Like, I was okay. And I, it wasn't for, like, it wasn't, it was actually for IBS because they had told me that sometimes antidepressants work for the anxiety around IBS. Yeah. So try this. I did. And I literally took one pill and I was like, this doesn't feel right. I'm going to stop. I can't imagine for you not being given the option to stop. You had to keep trying different like cocktails of pills to be okay. Like I can imagine that would fuck up your, just your sense of who you were and your sense of like self. I mean, plenty of people, I mean, I could have stopped anytime I wanted to, um, you know, but Fortunately, I had a good understanding of what was going on. Um, I had done, I had done a good deal of reading. There's this book that I really liked. I'm sure there are better ones now called "Listening to Prozac," which was just about neuro uh, neuroscience and the elasticity of the brain. So I kind of understood. I mean, the scary thing is, like, a lot of this is all new. Like, we still, the, this is from this book was written in the early '90s, and it's like we still don't completely know what yeah. SMRIs do. You know, it's a lot of it is still experimental, but I do, I did kind of come to the understanding that like our brains are elastic and 
we take medicine that changes it. We do things that change it. We exercise, we eat, we experience trauma. So many things change our brain chemistry. And so, um, you know, I also, I, I understood that like I was at a point in my life where it was very pivotal for me to take some sort of positive action to get on the right track. And, you know, it would probably take some time, but overall in the context of my life, it was worth it. You know, like I was on lithium and it made me really sick. I was on Depakote and it made me really depressed. And finally I got on another drug and it worked. Um, fortunately, I can see psychiatrists. Fortunately, you know, I had a family support system, but um, you know, a lot of people who don't have the opportunity to educate themselves about drugs like this, you know, there's a lot of stigma that goes with taking medicine. And if it doesn't work right away, they're just like, oh yeah, I know it. These drugs are crap. It's, it's garbage, you know? And I think that, you know, they won't have the patience for it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, I think we need to find a different way to talk about medications. It's not something that I'm on so much anymore, but I, and a totally different vein of medication. I take a lot of supplements for my IBS and my anxiety and not the same thing at all, but my sense is like, if I don't pop this pill and the thing that I'm dealing with doesn't stop immediately, it's not going to work. <laughs> you want immediate response. Yeah. Who doesn't? And, and I mean, that just, as I'm learning, that just doesn't happen with many things we put in our bodies. Yeah. I mean, especially with like a psychiatric drug. Yeah. It's interesting. A friend of mine was taking, uh, I think he still does. I haven't spoken to him in a while, but he was taking a Paxil, which is an SSRI. He was taking it for, was it IBS or it was something similar. Sounds but it, like IBS or Crohn's or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it still, it takes, it took a couple of weeks for it to work, but it's interesting that seemed to work better for him than uh, the standard medication the doctors were giving him. But also I think his, it depends what your trigger is. His trigger was anxiety. Yeah. And so it was really his anxiety was being treated. Yeah. Not so you much. Know? Yeah. And that's what they said to me about the one pill that I took. They were like, it's not for the IBS. It's for you to relax about the IBS, which uh, my brain couldn't wrap my head. I was like, why isn't it stopping? This is not the result that I wanted. <laughs> um, but enough about my bum oh, hole. No. Oh, Let no. <laughs> Sorry. We're not changing topics so quickly. Okay. I mean, we could go about my bum hole for a whole oh, other hour. But it, <laughs> um, I want to ask you about when you were in the hospital and when you were getting diagnosed, like when you realized that this was a thing, how did that, how did you feel about that? Like, how did you, do you remember at all how you felt? Yeah. I mean, so like there were, there was this, you know, a, a part of me that was kind of relieved, you know, um, to have one to properly kind of understand what was going on. Um, to have, you know, especially when you're that young, there's something, now I sort of shy away from this a little bit, but at the time it, it felt good to have a label, to be honest, to understand it. Yeah. Um, and to know like, okay, like this is, this is, and it's, this is the spectrum of experience that people have when, when this goes on. Um, now, like being in the hospital was a whole different experience because 
whereas I kind of got that diagnosis and I finally kind of understood what was going on and got on the right path, I was also in a system with everyone who was experiencing things from, you know, like what I was experiencing, which was kind of like a toxic reaction to medication that I just needed to get off of. Yeah. Um, and people who are experiencing every level of mental health issues. Um, and so I saw people there who were really, really, really in a bad way and who were sort of in and out their whole life. And so it really kind of put things in perspective to me, for me, to be honest. Um, I mean, and that's partly why it kind of got, got that, um, really gave me the patience to see this through. Cause I was like, you know, I have the opportunity now to take care of this so that I don't end up back here. Yeah. And there's a pathway you can choose. And like in looking at those people who are living with different variations of mental health issues, you could decide, do I want to do this or do I want to try this and hope that that doesn't happen? Yeah. I mean, like there are regulars at these hospitals, you know, and I didn't want to be a regular. Um, and I, I just, I think I, I mean, I can't say what it's like for anyone else, but I felt like I was fortunate enough to, I'm fortunate enough that I feel like I have, there's a lot that I can do to manage my situation. And I, I'm going to do everything that I can. Awesome. Um, do you consider your BPD a disability? Because, um, you know, we are on Disability After Dark, so I thought I would ask. <laughs> You know, it's so interesting because I, I honestly don't know how to answer that question. Which is why it's a great question because that's uh, exactly the answer that I wanted. I mean, like, I consider it a challenge. Okay. That's fair. It's like... Hmm. For me to call this a disability, I would say that bipolar disorder is a disability. Okay. To the level, you know, I don't know. How would you define disability? <laughs> I would say if it's something that, I mean, that's a great, you know, and I'm a disability consultant. I should know the fucking answer to this, but I—it's so hard because if for each person it's different, which is why I love that question because <laughs> I don't even know the answer. But I would say that it, if it's something that that makes it harder for you to be seen as equal in the world, then I would consider it. But see, you can't even see that because <laughs> there's so many layers. If it's something that it, that that physically or mentally affects you to the point where you are then seen as othered, I would say it's a disability. Uh, so the answer is then like, yes, it's a disability, but obviously there's a spectrum of disabilities. Yes. Yes. And the reason why I, I posed that to you was because like, first of all, I love watching people try to figure out in their own heads how they want to, like how they want to classify that because in watching you and the audience didn't see this, but I was watching you. you I could see you like, Oh, what, what is the right answer? Is the right answer? Like, what do I say? <laughs> and I think that's so valuable because you know, your, your disability is largely 
See, I just, <laughs> I named it for you. Your bipolar disorder is largely invisible. So that could definitely play into why you may not see the disability. But I like how the first thing you said was it's a challenge because it shows that you're like on the path to maybe seeing it as a disability. And again, I, I ask you that because I would say, welcome to the disability club. Like here's your handbook. <laughs> but I think it's always interesting to ask people that to watch them try to figure out in their own brain why, what that term means for them. Yeah. Huh. Um, and that was not one that I had wrote down. I was just like, I want to ask because it's an important question. No, that is a great question. Um, I mean, it's like one of those things where like, you know, it's like when, well, it's like comparing when someone says like, oh, well, when a, like a white gay man says like, well, I know oppression, I'm gay. And they say that to like a black person. It's like, well, people can't tell you're gay by looking at you. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, so, um, so yeah, like my experience in my life is altered by it. And like, I, I can't live a life that I can't live the, the life. I, I, I have to drastically change the kind of life that I'm able to lead because of being bipolar. Can you uh, elaborate as to like how you've, what are those, what are, what are those changes? Like how has your life drastically changed from what you thought it would be before you were diagnosed? Sure. Well, I, I mean, I will also say this, that it's also, it's really hard to say what is from being bipolar and what is just from being me. <laughs> but, um, that's a fun game. I'm sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I like, there is absolutely no way that I could have a standard nine to five, um, like life where I would be in public with other people coordinating and collaborating and having to just be, um, be on a regimented routine that I had no control or flexibility over yeah. on other people's terms and rules. I, I have to do a lot of regulating for myself physically and emotionally. And in order to do that, I need to have a certain amount of flexibility within my schedule. I need to be able to make my own schedule so, somewhat. I'm able to do like three or four hour bursts of really like intense work and focus, but then I need to completely chill out and recover. So, I mean, that works really well for me as an artist, as a musician. It can work really well for me as a teacher in certain aspects of how I teach like music privately. But like, if I were to say, wanna go and like work in a public school and be like their band teacher, hell no aside from all the other reasons why I wouldn't want to do that. Come on. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do Glee 2020. Come on. <laughs> I mean like that life just wouldn't, that schedule and that lifestyle just, I couldn't do that. Yeah. You know, I really, I, I can go and be in the center of things and perform and be on, but then I really need to, to uh, withdraw and lick my wounds. What is on your recovery? Like, to do this when you're not when you're done your burst and you want to just chill out what do you do oh man uh curl up in my bed throw my gravity blanket over me pull out my kindle put on my noise machine and just pull down my blinds and read nice. um, 
yeah, I mean, just, just that, like, you know, nap if I can, I nap a lot. Um, and it's not always because I'm tired. It's just because I need a re a mental and emotional reset. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear that people, a lot of people with, with complex mental health issues need to just stop and need to just like shut everything out for a while. Yeah. And that can be really hard. It can be hard to explain that to people when it's like 4.30 on Saturday afternoon and everyone's hanging out, having a good day. And I'm like, I got to go home and nap. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like the most awesome thing ever. I got to go bye. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it may, may be pretty baller, but like it's hard on like, you know, intimate relationships when people are like, I never get to spend a full day with you. And you're like, well, you could nap with me. And, then, and you know, the person's like, ooh, a nap. And you're like, no, no, I mean, literally nap. Yeah. Naps are not social. Most, and honestly, like, I'm a really good napper. And I think we found the tag for this episode. <laughs> it might just be I'm a really good napper. So, like, if you're going to nap with me, you better have a pretty solid nap game going on. Nice. I'm, I'm down for that. Um, I want to shift gears because at one point we were a sex podcast. I've just kind of... <laughs> retooled what the what we are and now we're just telling disability story but at one point i was i was a sex podcast now i'm just doing the things and t- talking to people about the stuff but i wanted to ask you how does bipolar disorder affect your your sex and your sexuality and your queerness um so i it's interesting because I think that like the the sort of overall understanding or the stereotype, uh, I don't know if this is a a widely known thing, but bipolar people, I or more people when they're in their manic phase, are considered to be like hypersexual and um, and they're thought to be like impulsively sexual or like destructively sexual. Uh, I have never known to, to enjoy such states. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, so like, I would say that, and, and I don't know if this is, so mm, the first person that I really tried to come out to was my therapist when I was 19. Sorry, we're getting back into therapy. And I told her about having sex with someone, uh, like a guy that I met in a parking lot on Long Island. So this was like, my parents are from Long Island. I was in New York City for college. I went back one weekend, random guy hit on me in a parking lot, balls of steel, not literally, but like- That's wow. literally my childhood dream. That was, okay. that was like my teenage, that, that, right, that scenario was all I wanted to happen <laughs> from, like, from like 15 to like 25. Well, uh, I'm so glad that someone, you know, that, that happened. Uh, unfortunately, my therapist turned it into trauma because so, so uh, well, that was my first experience with a guy, but this was also a few weeks after I got out of the hospital. I was not out. I was like barely understanding of my sexuality. I was so repressed at that point. I was still, I was like 18, 19. Yeah. And she, you know, I told her about this and she, and I had never talked about maybe being gay. And her first response was just like, Brett, I'm concerned. She's like, I think that you might be experiencing a manic uptick with this kind of um you know spontaneous anonymous 
dangerous behavior. behavior. And I was like, actually, I just had my first gay experience. This is often <laughs> how many men have their first gay experiences in the Pretty much, yeah. Grinder and all of that. Like this was like 2002, you know, like, and so I just like, she kind of taught me to like fear myself. Oh no. Yeah. So now, I mean, to be honest, I mean, so I have often feared, I will say this overall being bipolar or for me, it's made me slightly scared of myself. It's made me kind of not completely trust my instincts. And like, especially if you're not sure if that hot hookup you're having is you hooking up with a guy or are you having a manic episode? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, and, and you know, I, I'm always afraid that like I'm putting myself in a stupid situation. Um, so I don't, it's funny. Her voice is always ringing in my head. So that's, like, that's a horrible <laughs> coming out experience though. Like, wow. Oh no. Yeah. So I mean like, and other than that, I being, I, I would say, being bipolar and having all of this it for me personally it makes me have trouble trusting myself and i think like sexually i second guess myself a lot in like what sort of ways do you would you i mean it may i I get stuck in my head yeah me too yeah (laughs) i mean i just get stuck in my head a lot um and like heady sex is no fun um, no, no. Um, so, that's a lot. I, I can't imagine coming out to somebody and then being like, hey, your queerness is actually just a manic episode. Best of luck. Bye. <laughs> and I mean, like, you know, obviously, so, so I mean, that's like hookup sex. Uh, you know, and I'm in a relationship now. And so fortunately, I've been able to sort of work past a lot of that. But, um, you know, it's still, it's still just kind of difficult for me. I do. I live a lot in my head. I spend a lot of time managing my emotions. I spend a lot of time questioning my emotions and my motivations. Um, like, and I'm working to get through that, but like, I just feel like a very fractured person, you know? Um, so my sex can feel kind of like fractured. Does that what, make sense? Ha- how would you describe fractured stuff? Like? <laughs> um, like I can be in my body and also above it looking down at the same time. I guess that's what it means by like being in your head. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's really hard to just be in the moment, experiencing it and feeling it and feel fully present with my partner. I mean, and I think a lot of people experience this to be honest, but, uh, and I've only been me. Um, but this is how I feel. And how, not to get into your relationship too much, but how, what was it like kind of saying to your, to, to any long-term partner, like, Hey, I have bipolar. I live with mental illness. Here's what you need to know. Was that, was that, or has that been an ongoing conversation with partners? How did you do that? Um, you know, it's something that I always, I come out with it pretty quickly also, uh, you know, like yourself, I, I live on the internet, so it's not that hard to find out if anyone yeah. wants to look me up. Um, I, I talk about this, so I bring it up pretty quickly, and I find that 
it makes it extra hard for men to trust me. Um, I mean, in general, I think men, a lot of men have trouble trusting to begin with. Yep. Yep. But um, I find it's really hard to gain people's trust. Um, you know, they're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. I guess the expression is they're always waiting for me to become bipolar or like get, go crazy on them. And then when that doesn't happen, they're just like, what are you holding out on me? You know, what are you hiding from me? So wait, they're almost expecting you to, to, to become this like character they've seen in movies that you're just like, that's not how any of that works. Yeah, I think they're, I think they're expecting that. And then like when, when, I actually, when that doesn't happen, I mean, and that doesn't happen. And part of the reason why that doesn't happen is because I'm extremely well-maintained, possibly over-maintained, okay. which makes it hard because it's like I maintain my emotions so much Yep. that I can be so even keeled in relationships that it's, it, it, it can be hard to trust me because it's just like, wow, this guy's so chill. So because I have to stay so even stay so centered, I don't have a huge range of emotions. So it's like, it's hard to trust someone who never flips out, but I, I can't let myself flip out. Because if you go there, like you've gone, you've gone too far. I don't know. Like that's my fear. So it's, it's hard. Like I, I tell people right away because I want to be upfront, but then it's like, they're always waiting for me to become like this evil Brett that doesn't come. It's like Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. And then when that doesn't happen, they're just like, what are you hiding from me? I'm like, I, I'm really just trying to be my best self. And so. yeah, I mean, that speaks to one of the things you said in the, in the pre-questionnaire, which was like, you have to work. So you're like the swan that's paddling you know, and then in on top, this one's all pretty and beautiful and doing its thing. And on the bottom, it's like, it's just trying to stay afloat and not <laughs> die. Like, so yeah. I can imagine all trying to juggle all these things and being worried that you can even have emotions. Because if you emote too much, does it mean you're breaking? Does it mean you're having an episode? Like, I can imagine that would be just that knowing that would be really stressful. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's an interesting way of putting it. And it's like, you know, um, the, the ways that I, the things that I've done to maintain myself over the years are starting to limit myself. You know, it's like, it's like uh, I, I've had to kind of narrow my feelings and emotions and ways of expressing in order to kind of keep things safe. And now I'm finding that I, I feel kind of limited and I feel like I'm not vulnerable enough in my relationships. I'm not expressive enough in my relationships and I'm kind of fighting for a way out of that box that I put myself in to stay safe. That's a lot to unpack and something that I oh, never you leave it in the box, my friend. <laughs> but there's a lot, I mean, there's, there's a lot there. And I think, you know, that's something people don't consider when we think about people with invisible disabilities, how much work they have to do, just to maintain this public in this public face and for you being an internet person and like a a public persona like i can imagine that's even harder um yes and no i mean like the thing is i i talk about it more online than i do in real life like you know i sing and write songs that are really kind of vulnerable 
and sometimes very explicitly deal with bipolar disorder. Um, cool, because that was my next question. So you just let us right in. Awesome. So, so yeah, keep going. I mean, so it's like, you know, the internet is this place where I can really kind of like, like I was saying that in real life, I kind of put myself in this safe box. And the internet is inherently this box, you know, of, of my own creation. The rest of it, I have no control over. And so it's like, I can write a song and safely package my feelings um, in a way that I think will resonate and connect with other people, hopefully. And then, you know, I can make a YouTube video where I take one piece of my story and I can make it into a 10 minute narration that gives it a shape and that makes it, you know, that, that really, that really makes it feel like, I don't know, that it had, that it had meaning and that it had purpose. And I can put that out there and leave it. Um, <clears throat> but these all feel like ways that I have control and I can shape the narrative. Whereas in real life, I don't know how to integrate these stories and these parts of myself into my daily existence and into my relationships. Wow. There's a lot, there was, I mean, I'm going to keep it in the box, but there's a lot there, like just in that little section. Like, so, so the internet kind of gives you that sense of control, but then the minute you like log off, you're like, how do I, how do I do that? Yeah. And it's, it's kind of a, a dilemma to be honest, because it's like, you know, I have music and I have like writing and I have, you know, like there's so many modes of expression and, I feel like I, I, I'm, I feel really comfortable in all of these. And I feel like I can really connect with people through all of these. But then <clears throat> when I try and have, you know, direct connections in real life through friendships and, and romantic partnerships, um, it's, it's, I don't know how to navigate and integrate that part of myself. And also sometimes I don't want to, it's like, I got all that messy stuff out. Let's just chill and watch Netflix. Yeah, because you like wrote a song about it and it's on the internet somewhere. So let's just hang out now. Let's just like chill out. Um, do you know? Do you think that? Can you kind of share some 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 like titles of songs about your BPD? Have you written like? Have you been like, hey, I have BPD. Here's a song. <laughs> literally about that. I mean, so it's. Rarely is it that straightforwardly obvious, except for when it is. Um, so like, I guess on my first album, I have a song called Polarity. And uh, <laughs> it's right there now. Yep. Yep. Got it. Yeah. So like what that's kind of about for me is like, I think for years, what I was really struggling with was like, okay, you know, it's like I have these two kind of really intense extremes of the ways that I can feel and the ways that I can, you know, approach the world and how I view myself. And, um, and they're both very easily accessible to me. Like I have extreme darkness within me, but I also have extreme light. And, and I'm just like, which one am I? And I felt, I was like, I have to choose. I have to choose one and I must go all the way with it for the rest of my life. You know how extreme we are in our yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> As, you know, they were gay men, so that's like what that's what we do. I was like, I'm 20. This is it. I must decide. <laughs> <laughs> so I so like 
that song was all about kind of like, well, actually, no, like life is filled with these extremes and opposites need each other to exist. And like, really, the only way to have any sort of you know, peace or uh, some sort of sense of um, sense of peace of mind in life is to be able to accept all of these, not just extremes, but these contradictions within ourselves and within life and to not always try to make sense of them, but to just let them exist because like, you know, we contain multitudes. I can be both extremely dark and extremely light. I can be extremely serious and extremely silly. And I can be all of that within five minutes, five seconds at the same time. And none of it contradicts any of it. In fact, it's all entirely necessary. And it's what makes me me. Um, and it's what makes like this weird ass life what it is. That's awesome. Like you've given me so many things that I want to be like, and this. Um, so as an entertainer, you know, with living with invisible illness and bipolar and, and all these things, or invisible disability rather, um, or as you say, a challenge, do you think that we need to see more representations of the actual bipolar experience in popular media? Particularly I'm thinking about like songs recently that have used the word like retarded and stupid and like that kind of, do we need to see more nuanced ways of talking about that in the entertainment? I mean, you just gave plenty of other probably more important examples to tackle first, but like, yeah, people use the word bipolar to just mean like extreme contradictions. You know, they'll be like, oh my God, you know, or they'll be like, I feel so bipolar today. Or just like, oh, the weather's real bipolar today. Like, no, (laughs) weather's all over the place. Like. Bipolar is a specific diagnosis and it doesn't mean, and like also bipolar is an extremely wide range. Like when people often think of like the kind of bipolar where you're swinging between two extremes, yeah. but that's really a kind of rare form of rapid cycling in bipolar disorder. That wasn't, that wasn't the kind of bipolar disorder that I've experienced. I've experienced more of like a, a mixed kind of form, like of a dysphoric mania uh, when I wasn't over-medicated on, on, um, on antidepressants, where I had the manic energy and, and the, the mental energy, but it was not positive. It was com- extremely negative and turned inward. So all of those are really negative. And I mean, even like, um, did you watch Homeland? Uh, I did. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that, I loved Homeland, okay? Also, like, I like that show, but that was a truly awful example of a bipolar person. Yeah. Like, I don't know what they were doing, but she looked like she was schizophrenic at times. She looked more like she was schizophrenic, to be honest. Um, so I, I kind of more wish that they would just not even bother trying to show bipolar people because it's such a huge spectrum. You know, we push for in the in the kind of like the physically disabled world right now. We're pushing for people for proper representation of like of like wheelchair using actors and all the kind of stuff. Would you prefer if a production was like, "Hey, Brett, we need somebody with bipolar for this scene on this thing"? Would you want to like? Would you? Is that something you would advocate for? Somebody who actually has experienced 
bipolar? That's interesting. I mean, I don't know if I if that necessarily is an issue for me uh, because, I mean, for for other things where there's like trans actors or disabled actors, like those are those are people who are underrepresented in the fields. Yeah, who who, de- who deserve the work and would bring a more um, who would bring you know a more actually relevant viewpoint to the the, the job. Yeah. Whereas the bipolar parts, they're just awfully written. Yeah. I think a good actor, if given the material, could do it properly. Like, I mean, who played Carrie Matheson? Claire Danes? Like, there's no, she would be amazing if they gave her proper material. (laughs) Yeah. You know? And like, I'm sure that there is no shortage of bipolar actors working out. They're getting plenty of work. It's, It's more just the writing. You know? So what we're really asking you is the entertainment community hire Brett to be a writer on your That's stuff. Right. Or maybe just stop using it as a gimmick. You know, yeah. like bipolar is, so, it, people use it as such a gimmick, you know, um, in writing. It, it's, it's, it's like a plot. Um, <clears throat> it's, like, it's a plot device. Exactly. And like, it's unnecessary. Like their whole thing was like, Carrie Matheson's fucking crazy. Look, she's bipolar bitch. Oh, she's not on her medication. Oh, look, she's going crazy again. She's going to kill someone. It's like, oh yeah, that's what happens when I don't take my medication. I start like foaming at the mouth and I, and I, and I become a terrorist. Exactly. <laughs> totally normal. Yeah. The right. Yeah. And, and t- exactly. Thank you for letting the world know that that's what happens. Don't let yes. me your children and start foaming at the mouth and, throwing bombs through the zoom yes it's sarcasm we're joking it's fun um i we kind of touched on this a minute ago but i wanted you i wanted to just ask you in a proper question that i wrote down how is how is what is what were the differences between coming out as gay or queer and then coming out as bipolar like like we kind of touched on that a minute ago with your therapist and your mom (laughs) um well, fortunately, that was not really my coming out. That was my first attempt. But um, so I, I would say that coming out, so I ended up coming out a few months after being hospitalized. And, um, and after being hospitalized, after dealing with that, coming out as gay was kind of easy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, I had this, I had held so much inside. I'd held back so much. I'd hidden so much that once it was like, oh my God, Brett's in a mental hospital. <laughs> Brett had a breakdown. It was like, once that traveled throughout the family, then when it was a few months later, it was like, Brett's gay. They're like, whatever. No big deal. Um, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And I mean, that wasn't, you know, it wasn't quite as simple as all that, but like, once I had already sort of broken the ice of like, listen, I'm not who you think I am. Like I grew up as a competitive gymnast and I got really, I was like every on the outside, people thought I was kind of like nerdy and like just focused on school. But behind the scenes, I was like rocking out and working really hard on music. And I was just like, there's no way in hell I'm going to take a gymnastic scholarship to go to like Oklahoma state. I was like, I'm going to stay in New York. I'm going to get an art degree. And I'm going to do all this stuff that no one has any idea of. So I had already rejected the like gymnastic scholarships and gone to art school. So that was like my first way of coming out. And everyone was already mad at me for that. And then when I fucked that up and got kicked out because I was crazy, that was the second way that I, <laughs> I can say that. that was the second way that I came out and 
everyone realized that I wasn't who they thought I was. So then when I came out as gay, it was just like, okay, we get it now, Brett. No one really knew who you were, did we? Um, so, I mean, like, they're all different, but they're all connected. They're all, it's all just like telling people, hey, the thing that you assume that I am, because that's who you assume everyone is, because that's the standard template that we're all supposed to fit into, that's yeah. not, it's not who I am. Um, and um, like, I don't know, I don't know what would have been harder. And I don't know, I wonder about coming out as gay when I would have done that, how I would have done that if I hadn't already kind of broke the mold with the bipolar shit. Are you, are you in a way like grateful for the bipolar shit because it gave you an easier avenue to be like, guess what? I know I also am this. Huh? Well, grateful. I mean, I would say that like looking back, a whole lot happened in that year. Um, and so it seems somewhat serendipitous that everything went down in that year. Like there's a couple other stuff that happened that year that is just like, whoa, like that whole year was a year of trauma, but that kind of made me who I am. So, um, I mean, no, I'm not grateful to be bipolar. <laughs> and that's, but, totally, that's fair. That's totally but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna sit here and pout about it. You could. No, I'm, it's, it's a podcast wherever you want to pout about it, you're more than welcome to. Thank you, babe. Um, but that's, that's, for me, that's not productive. Yeah. So... You know, I am, I am grateful for, you know, the sequence of events that my life has taken. So that makes sense. <laughs> Do you ever have moments where, like, you wish you weren't bipolar? Ah. Uh, Just get into the deep cuts. <laughs> Do I ever have moments where I wish I wasn't bipolar? I mean, that's like, do you ever wish that you weren't who you are? You know, it's like, it, I can't possibly separate myself from being bipolar. You know, it's like, it's, it's how I feel. It's how I see the world. No, I, I can't. I can't wish that I didn't have bipolar disorder because I, I can't wish that I wasn't me. You know, it's not, I like, I don't look at it as like, oh, I caught bipolar disorder. It's like, it's, it's a part of, it's, it's an essential part of who I am. And it's yeah. something that I have to manage. And like, no one could go, I, granted, we don't know how all of this works, but no one can go into my brain and my genetics and snip away the part of me that is bipolar without also taking away an essential part of what makes me me, you know, and, and I love me. So no, I don't want to not be bipolar. And thanks for such a vulnerable answer. I know that it's, it's hard to get people to be like, tell me all your feelings about all the stuff. And you and I have not actually talked outside of like a few tweets and emails back to each other. So I just kind of love that one. At you. But thank you for being so open. Um, 
how we kind of talked about how BPD affects your sex. How does it affect your sense of like queerness? Does it make being queer more fun, more awesome, like less awesome? Oh man, I, I, it's so, I, I don't know if I have too much of a sense. I mean, it makes, it makes me feel extra queer. (laughs) (laughs) So if you would have asked me this 15 years ago and you were like, so how does being bipolar make you feel about being gay? I would have been like, it makes me feel like a freak. But now when you say, how does it make you feel about being queer? I'm it makes me feel extra queer that's awesome because my disability also makes me feel extra queer and that's that's why i refer to myself as a queer cripple because 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 in part in large part of my disability because by saying queer i'm saying i don't have to fit into your normative idea of what a gay man's supposed to be even if i say queer then it's a free-for-all exactly so like i'd be totally honest like when my early 20s um i <laughs> so it's it's silly to say like I struggled a lot so like whatever no I didn't um I mean I did but not for not for like obvious reasons so like at at the very least now at this point in my life especially like here in New York most especially with everyone having internet in their phone most people that I meet will kind of know who I am or be able to find out really quickly and they'll be like oh he's that bipolar musician great or they'll just be like oh he's some alternative edgy musician and like, but in my like early twenties, when I was first out, out in the gay world, which was gay then, um, like, you know, I had shorter hair, I had less scruff and I was more muscular cause I was like a gymnast. So I really kind of looked just like the straight up kind of like, you know, generic white scene gay dude. And so I was always getting hit on by these really generic white gay dudes who would always, and they would be hot and I'd be like, okay, cool. But then after like 10 minutes, they would kind of be like, wow, you're fucked up. (laughs) Or just like, I mean, not, not that hard. Or I'd say something sort of off color that honestly I would think is hilarious. And anyone with a sense of humor who understood sarcasm or like dark humor would think is great, but some sort of really kind of generic, straightforward gay dude would kind of be like, Like "Eh." You know, uh, the kind of guy that so, wants to get in your pants and not talk to you after that kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. And so in my twenties, I struggled a lot because I would hang out with those people and then I, they would think I'm one thing and then just be like, Oh my God, wait, you're actually not that at all. And so uh, at least now with the queer scene being more relevant and with myself just being more out publicly, people kind of know what they're getting more. But I used being bipolar used to really fuck things up because no one can tell by looking at me, I was bipolar or just that I'm a musician that I'm alternative. And then they'd get, then they'd, want to go out 10 minutes in or go down. Wow. 10 minutes. Yeah. No, yeah. You don't judge a book by its cover, my friend. And that's why you should always say you're bipolar in your, in your profiles. We am out. Do you say it in your profile? I didn't, I didn't inspect your profile enough. I'll go look right now and see. On Instagram, uh, it says it. I don't think on Twitter it does. Yeah, no, it does say it in Instagram. It says you're, it says you're, Gaily bipolar. Yes, gay is an ad. Anything's an adverb if you add L and Y to it. Correct. That's true. <laughs> Correct. Um, this was a fun chat. I had a good time. Do yeah. you have any qu- other thoughts or questions for me? Anything that that you wanted to ask me that I didn't that I didn't talk about? Ooh. 
I mean, like, I would say this. So I like that you asked me if I considered myself disabled. Yeah. Now, I feel like going into this, and you use the term disabled often. All the time. Yeah, and I I feel like there were times where I people would tell me like, oh no, that's not appropriate. You don't use the term disabled. You know, you say like able-bodied. What do you say to that? I say to that, fuck you. <laughs> like, no, but I, I really truly say to that like, no, if somebody has the balls to tell you they think they're disabled, much like how when you had to come out as bipolar, like, and tell people that you're bipolar, that takes a lot of fucking guts to do that. So if they're, if they're ascribing that label to themselves, let them do it. Who are they hurting? If they need that label to make themselves feel whole, or in my case, dis- saying disabled is a community builder there's a disabled community and there's a whole which is why i asked you because like if you want to join the club our 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 fees are due with no i'm kidding but like like, you know there's 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 a community there that you can be a part of and so for me it's not just about the label of disability it's about i want to it's a culture all on its own yeah it's like you have to you have to state yourself you have to it's like, uh, you know, you have to have a definition or you don't exist in some ways. It's like filling out the census. Yeah, you need something that qualifies you to feel like you. And, you know, words are really powerful as we are learning, especially with what's going on in the world right now. Words mean a lot. And if you have a word that you can label yourself with that makes you feel okay, then more power to you. And there's so many people who I think would consider themselves disabled if we took away the stigma and the the bad connotations of what that word means yeah if we said if we said yeah there are parts of being disabled that suck balls but there are parts that are really and i like sucking balls so it's fine But, Ah. but you know there are also parts of it that are great and there's a community there and if you take on this title you can also get support if you say you're disabled you can apply for not so much in america because you live in a trash country where uh, a, a trash country trash country but you know you can apply for support either way and if you need that support saying labeling yourself as disabled is an important step to get that help beautiful yeah um Though that's I do I could sit and talk with you forever. Like, when are you writing a book, and why don't you have a podcast, and how do we? Yeah, when's your book coming out? When is your book coming out? Is my question. When, when oh, are you... uh, oh my gosh, I love it. Well, I'm finishing my third album now, and I'm putting together a book of photos, lyrics, and essays that'll go along with it, but not a book book yet. Cool. Got to so live my, my life. So my name's Andrew Gerza. Where? How do I get? How do I? How can I buy a show note? How can I buy a? Uh, an album liner note. Uh, <laughs> well, when it's ready, it'll be at brettgleason.com because everything goes through me. Amazing. That's right. Amazing. <laughs> um, I actually hadn't asked, and I wasn't going to record this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. I'm looking for a new jingle for the podcast, and I was thinking, since you are somebody with, with in my view, disability, in your view, challenges, if you wanted to maybe... I could hire you to write to write a jingle for the show. 
That could be fun. I've never done a jingle. I, I mean, I have like the technical capabilities of it. Like I can do all home recording stuff and I have all equipment. Um, let me know what you would want and I'll tell you if I think I can do it. All right. We will. That could be a fun challenge. We will discuss it off the air because I don't know what I want. All I know is I want some, <laughs> all I know is I need some new stuff because I'm changing, I'm changing the format of what the show is. So I need- cool. Yeah. I mean, jingles are like a very specific thing, but it depends what you want. It's more like, we'll see. I'm not sure yet. I just, cool. I know I wanted to give it to somebody with, with disabilities or challenges. Cause I felt like that was, I just didn't felt like it's the right thing to do. Cool. Well, I mean, I, I, I think it would be fun. I would, I, I, I like trying new things. Um, if I think I can do it, I hate failing at new things. We can discuss. Um, <laughs> this is so fun. I love sitting down with you and thank you. So much for being for being so open about your experiences with BPD. Um, I learned things today that I didn't know, so that's great. Um, is there any last things you want to say about your story as somebody with BPD? No, no, that that's all. I mean, if anyone is listening today that is experiencing like anxiety or depression or like sleeplessness, I would say like really just listen to your body and follow that and you know talk to your primary care physician like a lot of these symptoms they all start in your body before you can start to understand them especially if you're in a culture uh, that doesn't talk a lot about mental health you won't really recognize the emotional symptoms right away you'll recognize the physical symptoms and pay attention to them and mention them to your doctor and just a quick bullet point of what they might be, sleeplessness, restlessness. Sleeplessness, restlessness. Um, I mean, it could be restlessness. It could be having no energy. Uh, it could just be like l- less appetite. I mean, Americans tend to recognize these things as physical first. And they'll go to the doctor for those things. But notice that your physical symptoms could very well be emotional. Like I went to my mom being like, I can't sleep, you know? And it was just that for the longest time before it was like, I'm having voices in my head and pulling my hair out. (laughs) I'm sure that was a fun progression for you. Don't let it go that far, my friends. Um, and how do the wonderful people listening get a hold of you? You kind of mentioned your website already, but if you want to just plug yourself again. Sure. I mean, I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Um, so you could just search me on those. Yeah. Yeah. I'll make, well, I, 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 I have all your stuff. I'll make sure it's in the show notes. Thanks man. For today. This was uh, disability after dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability story. I am Andrew Gerza and this was Brett Gleason. And um, we're going to now talk about me paying him for music things <laughs> off the air. All right. Brett, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, my pleasure. That was really fun. All right, friends. This has been another edition of Disability After Dark, the podcast feed shining a bright light on all things disability. I'm, of course, your number one queer cripple and your disabled Dick Smith host, Andrew Gerza. If you like what you heard today and you want to follow my work and find out more about what I do, you can head over to www. Dot andrewgerza.com or you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at it's andrewgerza 
If you want to follow the podcast directly, you can head over to Twitter and punch in DisAftDarkPod and follow us there. If you want to contact the show with a show idea, a guest idea, a comment, or a complaint, you can head over to your email and email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening to this latest edition of Disability After Dark, and we'll be here to shine a bright light on more things really soon. Thanks, everybody. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Andrew Gerza and Crippled Content Creations. Music was by Music by Space Robot Scientists. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music recordings, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright Notice 2020